Let's try this again. And good evening, and thank you for joining us on this evening. Thank you for joining Jesus Christ Ministries Global uh, Word of Life Bible Study, uh, held every Thursday afternoon from, or the evening that is, from 6 o'clock p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Um, last Thursday, we began looking closer at the works of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have for this last um, for almost five months now, I've been teaching on getting to know the Holy Spirit. Uh, it has been an enlightening uh, series that we, uh, we are learning, and I'm so grateful to God for giving me this privilege of being able to minister from three series so far. This is our third series, the first one was getting to know God. I mean, God, who he is. Uh, Jesus. Um, actually, it was um, God, who he is. Jesus Christ, and then, of course, we talked about uh, 
when we're talking now about getting to know the Holy Spirit. So God, his existence, Jesus Christ, who he is, and getting to know the Holy Spirit. So last Thursday, we began looking closer at the works of the Holy Spirit. We discussed his work in creation, his role in the conception and life of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And we stopped at the Holy Spirit's role in the inspiration of Scripture. So regarding the inspiration of Scripture, we discussed the Greek word uh, theopneusos, which is spelled T-H-E-O-P-N-E-U-S-O-S, theopneusos. Uh, and it's a com- it's a Greek word. That Greek word is a compound word, and it is and it means. Let me break it down in the, into its uh, individual components here. The first one is theo. T- that's T H E O, and theo means God. And then of course neustos, and that's spelled T N E U S T O S, and that means breath. So when we consider when we combine these two words, they are nusos, we uh, we understand that the scripture then is God breathed. So inspiration is a form of revelation. However, there is a difference between revelation and inspiration. Revelation is the unveiling of something that otherwise could not be known. For example, God revealing Himself to us and His purpose. And then, of course, inspiration, on the other hand, pertains to the way in which that revelation is conveyed or communicated. In other words, God speaking through human beings. There was one time where God actually spoke through a donkey. And we, are, we know that, Balaam's donkey. So tonight I want to continue our teaching on the inspiration of Scripture. We will begin by taking a look at, the, at Old Testament Scriptures followed by New Testament Scriptures. Uh, and then and in the New Testament, we want to land specifically on 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. So let's get started by uh, following out, by having our devotion. I'll be reading from Proverbs chapter 30, verses 6 and 7. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 30, verses 6 and 7. And then we will have prayer and we'll flow right into our our teaching on getting to know the Holy Spirit. Thanks for joining. So let me go ahead and start reading Proverbs chapter 30, verse uh, 6 and 7. Notice that five is. And it reads, turn with me if you have it, if you, yeah, if you have it, say I have it. If you don't have it, say wait up. And don't. Hold on a second. Anybody on there yet? All right. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 6 and 7, please. So, Pastor, our executive pastor is going to read the scripture for us. Brother Jerry Lyons, he's in the house. And I ask him to open us up in prayer. I think the pastor has the executive pastor reads the scripture. And thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Verse 5 and 6. You said 6 and 7. Oh, did I? Yeah, you should do Oh, I'm sorry. Do you want me to read 5? Yes, please. And yes, sir. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. 
Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Verses 5 and 6. Thank you. Thank you, our executive pastor, Brother Gary. Great. Thank you, Lord God. We thank you to for your great person. We thank you, Lord God, for allowing us to take travel, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, as pastor, bring the word, Lord God, that we meditate on it, Lord God, and we digest, digest your word, Lord God, and we apply it to our lives, Lord God. We pray for those who are on the call, Lord God, those who are on their way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, our scripture with Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6, all every word of God is pure, and he is a shield unto those who trust in him. Verse 6, I don't add anything to his word, lest he reprove you and show you to be a liar. Proverbs informs, Proverbs informs us that the word of God is sufficient in and of itself. It is adequate. It is in itself, and it is sufficient in itself, and it is adequate. Therefore, neither you nor I nor anyone else has the right or the permission to add anything to the Word of God or take anything away from the Word of God without some consequence for our for our doing so. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, for example, if you have your Bibles turned there, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. And... And we'll shift from there to 12, verse 32. But let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. And it reads, what does it say? Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish part from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Wow. So we see that it's not my interpretation of don't add anything. The word says every word of God is pure. God says every word is pure. And so we are not to add anything to it or to take anything away from it. Uh, and it is written, I, I love it because, I love doing this because um, gathering up the scriptures that states this specifically because God never says anything just one time. He repeats it because it's important for us to get it. To get it. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 32 it says, what things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt now add to it, add thereto, or diminish from it. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 32. So whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. And then Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. Revelation chapter 22. Because not only, not, is it, not only is it in the Old Testament, as we call it, but it is also in the New Testament. Uh, chapter 22, verses 18 and 19 of Revelation. And this is John saying, For I testify unto every man. If you have it, say I have it. If you don't have it, say wait up. Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto those things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city, Jerusalem and from the things which are written in this book. 
Lord have mercy. You are finished. That's how seriously God takes his word. His word is inspired. It's his word. He didn't give anybody permission. It is copyright. God has copyright. Right? And, and if anybody adds to it or takes from it, they're in serious trouble because they violated his copyright laws. <laughs> so now he's in whoever does it is in serious trouble. I love it. So Proverbs 30, verse 6a speaks of the pureness of God's word. He says every word of God is pure. This is repeated in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 31. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 31. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 31. The word of God is inspired. It is overseen by the Holy Spirit. How precious is this word of God? If God didn't speak it, if God didn't care about it, he wouldn't put these warnings in the word. It is important for us to understand that. Um, second, second Samuel chapter 22, verse 31 says what? As for God, his, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. Mm-hmm. And then for Psalm 12, 6, 12, the 12th number of the Psalms in the 6th verse. And it reads, Psalm 12, verse 6. The word of the Lord, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Um, 18 and Psalm 18 and 30. And it reads, and then Psalm 19 and 8, 18 and 30 reads as follows. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to those who trust in him. And then, of course, uh, 19 verse 18, not 19 verse 18, but 19 verse 8. There are no 18 verses in this 19th number of the song. The statutes or the words of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And then the last one, Psalm 119, verse 140. Psalm 119, verse 140. And, I, I, you know, I mean, how many of us actually get to go all the way here to Psalm 119, verse 40? I mean, I read the entire 119 Psalm. Here's what it is. And I even have an answer here. Thy word is thy, thy word is very pure. Therefore, thy servant loveth it. See, what I love about God is his word doesn't change. It is stable. In all the things that we face in this world, the only thing that is constant and stable is the word of God. It never changes. That's why he can love it so much, because it doesn't confuse him. It doesn't say one thing one minute and another thing the next minute. It says the same thing. Every single time you look at it, every single time, and you and you gotta love it. So what this is saying is, is this word says to you that the word of God is pure is to say that it is flawless, that it comes without any mistakes or errors. Everything is perfect, just as God, just as gold and silver are refined in order that they might be rendered pure through the removal of the dross or other impurities. The word of God comes from God without error. It is flawless. It is perfect in every way. 
in every way conceivable and in every way that is inconceivable. And I say that because because God is what I want to say. We we think of God as unknowable, but He's also knowable. He's unknowable because unless He reveals Himself to us, we don't know Him. And He's knowable in that when He reveals Himself to us, that's when we get to know Him. But even then, we don't know all there is to know about Him. We simply know what He reveals to us. Therefore, it is important for us to recognize that God is not like a human being. He, he doesn't have the physical features that we have. We should not talk about him as though he uh, is like one of us, because he isn't. He's far above us. He's God. He's our creator. He's the sustainer of us all. And then part six says this, uh, of that 30th chapter and that sixth verse. He says, he is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Those who put their trust, their complete trust in God's word, they find protection, uh, and when they, when they put their complete trust in God, they see the word of God as true. They then demonstrate that God's revelation is meant to be believed. Why? Because it comes to pass. And it is not simply something that is learned. We, in other words, in order, if we demonstrate that God's revelation is meant to be believed, then that means that it has had an impact in our lives, a direct, measurable impact in our lives. In other words, um, when we heard the word of God, we asked Jesus Christ into our heart to be our Savior and our Lord. When that happened, we were saved. We, didn't, we don't want to drink anymore, and that takes time. We'll get to that. But it takes time to get to that point. But all of a sudden, we find that we, when we wake up one morning, we find, you know what? I don't want to smoke cigarettes anymore. I don't want to drink anymore. You know what? I don't feel like going to the club clubbing anymore. You know what? All this stuff that I got in my house that, you know, I don't want to deal with that anymore. I, I just don't want that in my life anymore. All of these things change all of a sudden because there's been a, an impact. God has made an impact in our, in our lives that um, otherwise would not have happened. That's how we demonstrate that God's revelation is meant to be believed. <clears throat> so when we trust in God, things happen. Lives, our lives change uh, for the better, always for the better. Everything that God does in our lives, how whatever God removes from our lives, it is for the better. Whatever God tells us to flee from, whatever God tells us to avoid, whatever God instructs us to do, it is for our good and for his glory. It's got to be that way. So how does, and so tonight I just want to talk about um, uh, how God, how God inspired in the Old Testament, how God inspired in the Old Testament, ways that God inspired. So the works of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about inspiration of Scripture. We've talked about the theopneusos. Uh, we've talked about theo meaning, meaning God and nusos meaning, I should have been S up there. Excuse me. They are nusos, meaning breathe. Uh, and so what we're going to talk about inspiration is the Old Testament, inspiration of the New Testament. But we're going to focus on 2 Timothy uh, in the end tonight, which we probably all will be able to do. Focus on 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. So, does God inspire 
in the Old Testament? And the answer, of course, is yes. How does he do it? He does it through speaking. Now, if you turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, Exodus chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, this is the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, we'll see that Moses is having a conversation with God. He has his first encounter with the creator himself. That is awesome. There'll be somebody standing there watching, looking at a burning bush, and you're going to go and see what that is, and then when you get there, you get to Moses. Moses, take the sandals off your feet for the ground on which you stand is holy ground. So here's what. Let me give you a little background. Moses, let me just move on, and we'll, we'll get to it. The background is going to come up. It's a really... It's really important for us to get the background, and I and I don't want to get ahead of myself, and that's what I'm doing by doing this. So let me just read the scripture, and then we will go from there. Moses chapter 4, Exodus chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And it reads, And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? And who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? So what we're doing here is we're talking about the work getting to know the Holy Spirit. We're talking about inspiration of the Scripture. And so all of this is pertinent, so don't, don't, don't lose sight of that. Verse 12, now therefore go, and I will, I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, and he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send, and the angel and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he, when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach thee, teach you what ye shall say, what ye shall do. And, verse 16, and he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be given, he shall, and he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God. So, let's take this here, literally verse by verse. Verse 11, so the Lord said unto him, who has made the mouth? That's the first question. So God wants Moses to go and say something, to talk, to tell Pharaoh what I tell you to tell Pharaoh. Every preacher, every prophet, every evangelist, whoever you are, every child of God is required to speak the word of God. That's it. And that's what God says. And God is saying, who made, who made the mouth? Who made man's mouth? So, like most of us, Moses came up with an excuse for why he couldn't do what God called him to do. Bottom line, Moses fled Egypt under less than ideal conditions. He murdered an Egyptian, and, and he buried him in the ground. And then for so the next day, after he murdered the guy, he saw because the Egyptian was, was beating on one of the Jews, and he didn't like that. So Moses took time to look around. He looked around to see if anybody was looking, which tells you he premeditated. He, was, he knew he was going to kill that brother. 
He, he, he was a premeditated act. He, he looked around to see if anybody looking. He didn't see anybody looking, and he killed him. And he buried him in the ground, covered him up with dirt. And so the next day, he saw two, two, two Jewish uh, brothers fighting. And he goes up, and, they, and, and he asked him, what's going on? Why are you guys doing this? And he looked at him, and one of them looked at him and said, what are you going to do? Who made you our Lord prince, prince over us, Lord and Prince over us? You're going to do to me what you did to the Egyptian yesterday? Moses got scourged. And let me, let me just say, he got scared. He was really worried. And so he started looking around himself. And Pharaoh got wind of it, and Pharaoh was going to kill him. But Moses took off. That's what I mean by he left Egypt under less than ideal circumstances. He took off. He beat feet. And so uh, scared. Uh, and so he was scared. God told him, now, I'm, gonna send you, I'm sending you to Pharaoh, and I want you to let, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And that's the bottom line. Uh, and uh, he didn't want to do that. He came up with all kinds of excuses why he couldn't do it. He didn't want to go to the people because would they believe it? How did you know you talked to God? Who was what's his name? We're going to get you. You'll see that as you read the scripture. And I highly encourage you to go back to and re, and read this chapter, this fourth chapter. Just read Exodus. Period. There's so much in here that is so wonderfully wonderful and and awesome. But Egypt. So he murdered an Egyptian, and so when he so he was scared to to, to uh, go back because he knew what was going to happen if he returned. He, in his opinion, anyway, he believed that Pharaoh would kill him what he did. So Exodus chapter 2 verses 11 through 15 uh, you can find more of that but what excuse can one make to his creator? I was thinking I was sitting there and I was working and I was saying what excuse can you really make to God? And the answer I came up with none. Why? Is my question. Because God is the one who gives speech. And that's what he means by who made the man's mouth. I am the one that gives speech. He is the architect and the builder. In other words, he conceived it, he drafted it all out in his mind, and then he built it. He spoke it in all things. He, he is the builder of all things, including you and I. So God isn't looking for excuses for why we can't do something but rather he is looking for those who will say, I will do what you tell me to do. That's what God is looking for. That's the perfect, Jesus Christ is the perfect example of that. I come into this world to do what God told me to do. That's it. Now, here's the other part. Or he makes the mute. Or he says, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the see, the deaf, the seeing, the end of, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Of course he did. Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. So there's no way around this. God is saying to Moses, if I continue, he is saying to us, no more excuses. Do as I command you. Not only does God command Moses to go, he promises to be with Moses to oversee every word that is accurately, that it is accurately spoken from the lips of Moses. Not only that, but it appears that God will be speaking to Moses as Moses speaks to Pharaoh and the people. Finally, it, was, it, would, be, it would appear that Moses could not resist doing as God had instructed him. Hence, the command, now therefore go. God took away every excuse. 
every reason why he could. Even to, he said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I will oversee everything. In other words, instead of, I'm going to tell you, tell you what to say, and I will make sure that you say it. That's inspiration. So God is overseeing every word that comes out of it. God tells you something. God speaks it. God's word is written. When God speaks his word, he oversees his word to make sure that his word comes out exactly as he says he wants it to come out. And Moses should have understood. Moses understood that because in that 25th chapter, in that, in that uh, 9th and 40th verse of Exodus chapter 25, God gives Moses the instructions for the building of the tabernacle and the wilderness. And he's giving him all of his instructions. And he stops at verse 9 and he stops again at verse 40 and he says, now make sure you do this according to the, the, the instruction that I have given you. So in overseeing, overseeing, God is overseeing everything that he says, everything that he does. And who oversees everything that God speaks? The word, the spirit of God does. Remember in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the spirit of God hovered over the, the face of the deep. So he oversees everything to make sure that it performs, it can, it's carried out the way that God speaks, spoken. So there's no way that Moses can get around it. It is it. But he said, oh, my Lord, this is Moses now, please send by the hand of some whomsoever else you may send. In other words, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it. He was so scared that he would even disobey God, but God wouldn't let him off the hill. God chose him, your destiny. And that's why I said, when God calls you to something, you can hear and haw and run and all that stuff. He's not going to let you get away. He's got you. You're going to do what he wants you to do. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, I, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. <laughs> so God had chosen Moses to lead his people out of the Egyptian slavery. You go to Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 through 16, you will see where God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Abraham, and God spoke to Abraham, I mean, Abraham's specific words. I'm going to go there. You don't have to, but let me go there real quick. Genesis chapter 15, because I, I, I want to do this justice, 13 through 16. And, because, and here's what he says. And he said unto Abram, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a the, in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So what God is saying is that this is gonna this is this is what's gonna happen. Um, I want you to bring my people out of Egypt. I want to bring you I want you to bring them out of Egyptian bondage. And and what I just read to you is God's prophecy that Israel, Moses' descendants, will be enslaved by in a foreign land. Uh, and that he would bring them out. Now the question is, God spoke it in verse 50, chapter 15, verses 13 through 16, but did it ever happen? Well, of course it did. Go to Genesis chapter 45. You can go to, and I'm going to read all of this, but go to Genesis chapter 45 through uh, verse 16 through chapter 47, verse 12. Go all the way through that, Genesis 45, 16 through chapter 47, 
uh, chapter 47, verses 1 through 12. You will see, and I'm going to go to Genesis 47. That's where I'm going to go. Because all of this is possible. Because God set Joseph up to be there for them because the family was coming, and God made sure that everything was done. So I'm just going to read some of this, and, and, and I'm not going to read it all. Then Joseph came to Pharaoh and said, My father and my brethren and their flock and their herd and all that they, verse 1, that they have are come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen, that is in Egypt. And he took some of his brethren, even, his, even five men, and presented them unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto his brethren, What is your occupation? And they said unto Pharaoh, Thy servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. So we see that they are now in Egypt. So God spoke it in Genesis 15. In Genesis 45, they make their grand entrance into, uh, into, um, into Egypt. Verses 46, and chapters 46 and 47, we see that they are firmly in there. They're on their way, and they're on their 45 says they're on their way. They go to Egypt, and so forth, for chapter 46, now they are in Egypt. And then now, 47, they are introduced, five of his brothers uh, and his father are introduced to Pharaoh. So they are in Egypt now. That's all there is to it. So when God speaks a thing, it's going to come to pass. But why? Because he watches over to make sure that it does. Um, anytime, you know how, you know how when you, were coming up and you were playing basketball. I see that the professionals don't do it like that anymore. But remember how you were playing high, uh, basketball and your coach told you to follow, you know, make sure you follow the ball into, uh, into the court, into the goal. Once you shoot it, you follow the ball in. Well, we are told here God follows his word to make sure that it, that it happens. And if something might come up, that might prohibit it from happening. He follows it up. So he follows it and oversees it so that it will happen, that nothing will get in the way of stopping it. Of course, with us going into the, going towards the goal as we shoot, there's always going to be somebody there that might step in that's going to be under the goal because you've got the guards and you have, you have all the folks there, but you've got your center. And so you've got all those guys there, but still you follow that ball in because the coach told you to follow the ball into the goal. Uh, and that's what we do. So why? Because there's a good chance that you might miss and you may have another opportunity to get the ball and shoot again or pass it to another team member so that person can shoot. But that's what God does. He follows everything up. He does not leave anything to chance. And that's what our coaches tell us when we're going, when we're going up. Don't leave anything to chance. Follow that ball in. So God said to Moses, no more excuses. And if God chose Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, and so um, sometimes I want to slap this thing. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to me. So, God essentially said there was nothing Moses could do to get out of his assignment. We can run and hide, and we can hide and run. We can duck and, and we can shuck and jive, and we can do all these things, but we just can't get. Get away. Remember that commercial, dirt can't hide from intensified time? You can't hide from God. God essentially said to Moses, you're going, you're going whether you want to or not. 
And so that you will stop talking about how poor a speaker you are, I'm sending your brother Aaron. He can speak well. In other words, he is a man that speaks readily, fluently, and eloquent, with eloquence. And in short, as an or he is an orator extraordinary. That brother doesn't have a problem talking at all. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. That's what I love. In this 15th verse, God says to Moses, and I'm paraphrasing here, since you feel that you are unable to talk, tell your brother Aaron what I tell you to say, and he will speak for you. God says, I will help both of you speak my words to Pharaoh. And then what I love about God is he does not leave us alone. He, you, so many people tell us to do things and tell us everything, do this and do that, but they are never there with us to make sure that it's done right. And, and, of course, nowadays we complain that they're micromanaging when they are. They don't trust nobody. They're micromanaging. I can't stand them. Well, hey. God oversees it all. God is, I won't say he's a micromanager, but he is. He watches over everything that is done perfectly. So, and so he says, I will be with your mouth, and I will be with your, and I will teach you what you shall say. Simply God says, I tell you what to do. That's what this, that's what he says. I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and I will teach you what you shall do. In other words, what you shall say. Simply God is saying, I will tell you what to do. If we consider the word teach, then it would appear God is saying a bit more than just I will tell you what to do. It would appear that he is saying he will instruct them in advance of their meeting with the Jews and with the Pharaoh what to say. Like, I will inform you so that you will both know what to do. I will, in other words, so that's what teaching is. It is equipping you beforehand to do what he has called you to do. And, and you've got to love it. That's why, that's why in, in um, the Second Timothy chapter 3, he says, don't, don't put a novice in, in position of authority. You know, who, who, the person who, who desires to be a bishop desires a good thing, but you can't be a novice. You have to be mature. You have to be experienced in the word of God. You have to be experienced in, in leading people. You've got to lead your own household. Well, all of these different things. Uh, so God is saying, I want you to do this, and I'm going to oversee everything. So you do it. I'm going to teach you. I'm preparing you. Now, other examples, other examples of, of the word, God speaking the word, uh, is is here in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Have you ever been to 1 Samuel chapter 3? Do you know what 1 Samuel chapter 3 talks about? Have you ever been there? I've been there. I've been there. I've been to 1 Samuel chapter 3. He is an, it is an awesome scripture. Remember Eli and his son, Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni and Phinehas were the corrupt of all corrupt. Looks not no little sons of God, you know. They just didn't care about God. And Eli... Their father, he was the priest, you know, and he just, he just let them do whatever they wanted to do. He didn't stop them. And God says, hey, look, I'm cutting off your whole bloodline. 
I'm going to cut off your whole bloodline. And they used Samuel to tell them. Samuel chapter, chapter 3, real quick. 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. We won't read it all, but we will read uh, some of it here. 1 Samuel chapter 3. And this is the first time Samuel ever heard the voice of God because he did not know God and the word of God was scarce in that day. No one had heard God's voice in eons, it seems, because of the filthiness of the people, because of the hard-heartedness of the priest and his son, how they used to just do all manner of things. It was just it's atrocious. You get to read that, you'll see why God was so so uh, terribly, terribly upset. Now, let's go here to, I'm just started chapter 1. Let me just start at verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. And the child Samuel, and Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim, that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. Then the Lord said, Call Samuel. And he answered and said, He answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I call not. Lie down again. And he went and he laid down. Verse 6. Excuse me. And the Lord called yet again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I call not. My son, lie down again. And Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. Verse 8, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and he went to, e- and to Eli, and he said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. So, can you imagine how frustrating Samuel must have felt? Because he knows he's not just hearing things. Someone had to teach him the voice of God, how to hear the voice. Not that he heard the voice of God, but he needed to know the voice of God, who it was that was calling him. And Eli, and the Lord came and, let's see, and then, therefore, Eli said, go, lie down, and it shall be, let me go back here, and it shall be, if he called thee, that thou shalt say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. That will be the sign. They'll know that it's from God, because their ears will tingle. And they'll know that there's a prophet in, come on, let me, let me don't get ahead of myself here. It says, their ears will tingle. In, the, in that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. Hmm. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which, which he knoweth because his sons made themselves vow, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. 
In other words, you can't do, they, they are beyond help at this point. They are beyond, uh, you know, being able to uh, walk away from this thing unscathed. What God has said, God gave, God gives all of us an opportunity. God gives us all opportunities to repent, to turn away from the things that we're doing, to correct the problems that we're doing. If we don't, that's on us. Because it isn't that he hasn't tried. It isn't that he hasn't extended mercy. It isn't that he hasn't extended grace, because he has. But the bottom line is we choose to do what we choose to do. And so the punishment that we get, we chose that punishment. Whether we, whether we like it or not, we have chosen it by our actions, by our refusal to obey. Verse 16, 15, and Samuel lay until morning and opened the doors of the, of the house of the Lord, and Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. In other words, he, he was scared to tell Eli the vision. Have you ever, has God ever spoken, spoken something to you and you were scared to tell somebody what he said? Absolutely. I won't ask you to share. <laughs> and Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, Here am I. And he said, What is this thing that the Lord hath said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me of all that all the things that he said unto thee. And then in verse 18, and Samuel told him every wit or everything, and hid nothing from him, and he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. So, you see, even there, God, God speaks and through Samuel. God used Samuel to, to speak. Uh, and he used it, and Samuel spoke out of his mouth. Samuel didn't write it down. We're talking about how God reveals himself in the Old Testament through telling you what to say and you saying it through through speech or through words. And, of course, you'll find other scriptures such as Ezekiel 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 3 through chapter 3, verse 11, and Amos chapter 7, verse 14 through 15. Every prophet whom God called and instructed to speak his word were inspired by God. They could not do it on their own because they wouldn't have known to say it. It had to be God to tell them, otherwise they wouldn't have said it. There are 16 prophetic books in the Old Testament. We got the four. We have the four major prophets. We have the uh, 12 minor prophets. Let me see if I can remember them. No, I won't go there. <laughs> I know them. Uh, but, but so, uh, however, we must not overlook the fact that Moses was a prophet. Don't forget, now, Moses was a prophet. God spoke to Moses, and Moses, I want you to speak this. And so Moses spoke what God said. Moses spoke what was coming to pass. Moses speaks the word of God. He is a prophet. Not only was he a preacher, but he was a prophet. Uh, and if you don't believe me, go to Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 18. I, I didn't plan to go there, but uh, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 18. And I think we talked about this last week, just briefly. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 18. Or is this 18, 19? Let's see here. In 18, 19, I'm sorry. So I'm going to start at um, verse 18, yeah. and I'm going to do 19. 
because I'm going to go in through 18 through 19 because not only we talk about this prophet, but we know it's a prophet because the thing that the prophet spoke, if it comes to pass, we know that he's a prophet of God. Verse 18, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee. This is God speaking to Moses. In other words, he's saying Moses is a prophet. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brothers, like unto thee, like you, Moses. <laughs> and I will put my words uh, in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. Speak. See, the, the prophecy, see, the inspired word is, is, is revealed into the heart of man, but God instructs specific men to speak for him. Now, he doesn't just speak through men. There are prophetesses in, in the word of God. Can't think of them off the top of my head, but there are. Uh, well, Miriam is one in, the, in, in, in Miriam, uh, Moses' sister. And, and Anna in the old in the New Testament, uh, but I'm talking about in the Old Testament. Um, there, in um, I want to say, I don't want to guess. I don't want to guess because I don't recall. But I know I'll find that and I'll get that to you. And then think about that till now. So he spoke not only to uh, Moses, but he also uh, spoke through the prophets like Samuel. We don't see a book in the Bible written of, uh, where where either of these were where Elijah has written a book, or Elisha has written a book, um, but we know that they were prophets. So, uh, and God used them to speak to Israel and tell them what was going to come to pass because of their behavior. So we know that he does this. We know that Elisha um, uh, caused the the, uh, the heavens to close up for over, what, uh, three years, six months, with no rain, uh, and then God sent him to the widow of, of Zarephath, where uh, she she had a, a you know just a handful of meal. She said, and just a, a little cruise of oil and some water. And she was going to make her a cake and her brother, her son, a cake, and they were going to eat it and they were going to die. But he said, make mine first. And then of course Elisha is another one of the prophets uh, that preceded that proceeded or followed Elisha and got a double blessing, a double portion. Of, of Elijah's anointing. Go ahead, Executive Pastor. Well, we know that you talk about the Old Testament prophets. Mm-hmm. Okay, we know that the Marian was one, right? Right. Okay. And they said, even though Deborah was a judge, they yep. said that she was the prophetess. And they said that uh, another prophetess was Isaiah's wife. Right, right. Yeah. And then Helga. Mm hmm. A prophet in the Old Testament, hell, H U L D A H. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And then there was Noah Dyer. Noah Dyer. Okay. The fifth one we call a prophet was Noah Dyer. Noah Dyer, the Bible says, uh, remember Tobiah and Sam Ballon. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the prophet is Noah Dyer and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, see, now we know. See, God doesn't choose. And then, of course, we go to Joel chapter 2, where he says his sons and daughters are going to prophesy. So we know that women prophesy. We know that men prophesy. So, um, and, of course, another way that God spoke, uh, communicated was through visions. So your old men would dream dreams, your young men would have visions. You know, it's just, So we see that God does that. But not only that, but God also speaks. His word is inspired. God also 
uh, communicated. And we know inspiration, the word is inspired through God himself writing the word. So the word is not only inspired through, or through speech, but it's also inspired through writing, uh, by writing it down. So in other words, God personally wrote the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, 20 I'm sorry, not, I mean Exodus chapter 24, verses uh, 12, verse 12, for example. And then Exodus chapter 31, verse 18, and Exodus chapter 32, verse 16. So we see even there God wrote this. And so so you know that I'm not just pulling your leg. Now go to Exodus chapter 24, verse 12. Because, see, the word of God is inspired. God inspired men to write. God inspired men to speak. And then God also, uh, and God writes himself. 24, Exodus 24, 12. What does it say? Who's got it? And Moses the Lord said unto and and Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me to the mountain and and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and I add it all and commandments which I have written. I have written. Not not you, not somebody else, but he pers- God personally wrote. First uh, chapter thirty one, verse eighteen, he says this. And then of course when you get thirty two and sixteen, I'll get thirty one and eighteen. He says, And he gave unto Moses when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai two tablets of testimony tables of stone written with the finger of God. Who wrote it? Yes. You said what now? 32 and 16. Oh, okay. Exodus. Okay, I'm sorry. That's okay. I was doing something. Okay, Exodus is 32, 16. It says, and the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the table. So, we see that the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God himself wrote. So he doesn't require us to do something that he himself does not do. Uh, not only does he speak the inspired, his word is in, because God spoke it is inspired, bottom line. Because God wrote it with his own fingers, it's inspired. That's all there is to it. Uh, and then, of course, we have God dictating to men what to write. And this is powerful. Exodus chapter 34, verses 27 through 28. Exodus 34, 27 and 28. Verse 27 and 28 of Exodus 34. The Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words I have made a covenant with thee and with Israel. And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights, and he did neither eat bread nor drink water, and he wrote upon the tables uh, the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So Moses broke the first set when he came down and he saw these knuckleheads parting. They built this golden calf and all this stuff, and they were, and Moses was highly perturbed, and he, he lost it. So now Moses, re, now Moses goes up, and he writes it himself. And so God instructs him to write it, and Moses writes down. And Moses doesn't leave for 40 days and 40 nights until that is done, the right way, the way God said it to be done, just like it was in the first set of tablets, Exodus 17, 14. 
Exodus chapter 17, verse 14. I'm saying this because I want to show that God instructs men to write. And so men wrote, and that's what it's about. And God oversees this writing by his spirit. Exodus chapter 17, verse 14. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. God says, write. So when we think about inspiration in the Old Testament, we see it. We see it. God is moving by his spirit. Not only that, but we see it in Deuteronomy 31, 9, Isaiah 8, 1, 38, and Jeremiah 22, 30. So I got a lot of scriptures here. I can't go through them all. But I'm, I'm covering the Old Testament. We're talking about inspiration of the scripture. Some people say, well, is that something appropriate for Bible study? Absolutely. That's where you teach. That's where you teach it. Because it's important for people to understand. You're going to defend your faith. You want to go, what does it mean to be inspired? Where in the Bible does it talk about the word of God is inspired? It's all over. The entire Old Testament, the entire New Testament is inspired by God. It is given by God. It is overseen by the Holy Spirit to ensure its accuracy and completeness. Uh, and so that's what we're talking about. Now, how is God inspiring you in the New Testament, you might ask? And my answer is the same way he did in the Old Testament. There's no difference. Uh, they were moved, men wrote as they were moved by the Spirit of God to write. That's why the Word of God is considered, is regarded as God breathed. They are nusos because it is breathed out. When God speaks a word, he propels it by his breath or his, and that's what another word, uh, um, a nusos or breath. Is um, but we we think we uh, we know that in the uh, we we think about um, yeah nusos meaning breath and so that's where we come that's where it comes from and that's why we say the word of God is God breathed and inspired and means God breathed it is overseen by the word of God by the Spirit of God now in Revelation chapter one verse ten and verse eleven and verse nineteen. Uh, we see where the man is inspired by the Spirit of God. John, on the island of Patmos, is caught up in the Spirit, and he's instructed to write, and is overseen by the Spirit. It says, Revelation chapter 10, chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I heard, and I heard behind me a loud voice as a, a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. I, and, what, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches at which which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then verse 19, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place. After this. So there again, all the scriptures inspired by God. First Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and through 12. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Verse 11, searching what or what manner of time of the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed 
that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So the prophets, though they were moved by the Spirit of God to write, they did not know the mysteries contained in the word, and though they searched the word to seek for meaning, they could not get the meaning. Why? Because God sealed that meaning. They were writing for us today. So essentially they were preaching to us in the word of God the things that were coming to pass because now is the time for the for to be revealed. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable doctrine for reproof, for correction for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or the man of God will be uh, complete, thoroughly furnished to all good works, or some say truly furnished, but equipped rather for all good works or every good work. Now, in 2 Timothy, we have time. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, verses 16 and 17, we're told that the word of God is inspired by God with purpose. It is inspired by God with purpose. Does it say that? Yeah. It says right there, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. This is my purpose for doctrine, that is for teaching, for reproof, for, and we'll talk about that, for correction and for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Inspiration is the work of the Holy Spirit. If the work is not of the Holy Spirit, what is spoken and done will not take place. And we looked at we looked at Jeremiah last week. <laughs> Boy, did we look at Jeremiah last week? Where the prophet was prophesying of peace from the Lord when the word of the prophet shall be will come to pass. Then shall the prophet be known that the Lord truly sent him. And we looked at Deuteronomy chapter eighteen. We looked at Deuteronomy eighteen. I just read that, so I won't go, I won't read it again. But understand. That, that's the way it is, Deuteronomy 34 and 10. Let me go there real quick. Deuteronomy 34 and 10. I love going through the Old Testament because it's just so much, so rich. And there arose not a prophet since Israel, since in Israel, like unto Moses. So, there again, not only does God call Moses a prophet in Deuteronomy 18, 18, but he also calls him a prophet in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew. What? Faith. The faith. faith. Oh! <laughs> I love it. So, even Moses, John chapter 1, verse 45. John chapter 1. We're hitting the New Testament now. John chapter 1, verse 45. Now, we're cooking with gas here. I'm loving it. John chapter 1, verse 45. We're talking about the Spirit of God, how he inspires Scripture. Mm. Talking prophecy. Men spoke. It was written. And then Philip tells us right here, Philip tells us right here, what did he say? Mm -hmm. Philip finds Nathaniel. And said unto him, 
we have found him of whom Moses in the law <laughs> and the prophets did write. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. They found the Messiah. How did they find him? How did they know it was him? Through the inspired word of God. They were taught. They knew. And listen, they would not have known except the Spirit revealed him unto him. Even John the Baptist said, I did not know who he was until the one who sent me told me that I will see his, uh, you know, you know, until he told me about the Spirit coming down like a dove and sitting on top of him. And him who you see the Spirit sitting on, that's him. That's him. Whoa. I'm moved. Thank you, Jesus. Acts chapter 3, verse 22. Um, um, Acts chapter 3, verse 22. And he's just quoting Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. That's what he's doing. That's what Philip, that's, that's, that's what uh, Peter is doing. What do you say? I'm going to just go back. Where did I say 22? For Moses truly said to the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye, shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it says, and we're going to go on this little bit. And it, shall, and it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. In other words, you write your own destiny. Your destiny could be um, eternal life, joy, peace, prosperity, or if your, 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 your destiny could be utter destruction, hell, ultimately hell, your choice. And, and, and God gives us these choices. To be inspired also speaks to the inerrancy of the word of God. By inerrancy, I'm declaring that the, I'm declaring the truth of the word of God. There's no error in it. See, the Bible, the word of God, is inerrant in that it tells the truth and it does so without error in all parts and with all and with all its words. Every word of God is pure. It's true. It is perfect. It is not High in the sky. It is true. If this were not the case, if, listen now, if this were not the case, Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, would not have told the Israelites that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. And it would not have been confirmed by Jesus who said, or affirmed by Jesus, that when he said in Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Listen, I'm here to tell you, the word of God is inspired. There's no error in it. It is perfect in everything. We say it is, written, it is, it is perfect in its original autograph, and it is original writing. It is perfect. Every single thing is perfect. No errors. I don't know what people tell you, but there's no error. This word is perfect. Timothy's words, 
as to the inspiration of all Scripture is supported throughout the both the Old and New Testament, as I highlighted earlier when we just got started. And, and by Second Peter chapter 3, verse 16, what does Second Peter chapter 3, verse 16 say? I'm glad you asked that question. Let's just turn there. That's right after James and after First Peter and before First John. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 15. What did I say? 3, verse 16, rather. Who's got it? Feel free to read it. Here we go. If you have it, say have it. If you don't have it, say wait up and I'll read it. You said second Peter what now? Chapter 3, verse 16. That's what I need to do. I need to slow down some to give okay. people a chance to catch up. Okay. Uh, chapter 16. Chapter 3, verse 16. Okay. Second Peter chapter 3. Okay. As also in all his epistles. That's how you pronounce it. How you pronounce that word? Epistles. Epistles. Speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they there are unlearned and unstable, rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Yes, yes. Listen, the point I want to draw out here is that even Peter recognizes Paul's writings and he refers to them as scripture. Remember when Jesus says, when remember when Jesus says, Who do men say that I the Son of Man am? And some said the prophet, some said you're like Elijah or or Jeremiah or or you know, or one of the prophets. And they said, But who do you say that I am? And Peter said, What? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, What? I tell you the truth, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. It comes from heaven, inspiration, the Spirit of God revealed. The Spirit of God revealed. Even in Scripture, we see that even New Testament Scripture is inspired by God. Timothy tells us that in, 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 in that, in that uh, second Peter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it is all inspired by God. It is the Spirit of God. Inspiration comes from the Spirit. And then, of course, uh, Paul in 1 Thessalonians uh, uh, 5.27, that's right after what? Colossians, right? And, and uh, right before 1 Timothy. So, uh, second, First Thessalonians, right before Second Thessalonians. <laughs> Sometimes I can be so smart. I, I, yeah, I was smart myself. <laughs> yeah, First Thessalonians, chapter five, verse twenty-seven. <laughs> First Thessalonians. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle. Be read to all the holy brothers. Why? Because it's inspired. We grow from the Word of God. We grow by eating the Word of God, by reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God. Uh, and then I'm going to go to uh, Colossians chapter four, verse sixteen, and then I think we're going to move on from there. 
Colossians chapter 4, verse 16. I just want to give you all scripture that you can look at and, and take some time for the rest of this week and next week until we meet again. Take some time to go over this scripture. Read it. Pray over it. Ask God to give you greater revelation, greater knowledge and understanding. That's how we grow. This is called, what I'm doing here is discipling. I'm teaching. Discipling. But I pray that it is by the Spirit of God and not by my own efforts. And I can tell you it's not by my efforts because I'm not smart enough. Colossians chapter 4, verse 16. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So we see that it's necessary to teach these words. The word of God, it is important that we teach the word of God. If we don't teach it, people won't know. Anybody can read, but to expound on that word, to, to, to open it up so people can see and understand, that takes God. That takes uh, someone that God has prepared to do it. Now it also takes the spirit of God because sometimes I'm not going to be there. Sometimes your pastor won't be there. Some, sometimes uh, there's scholar, that scholar. And it doesn't matter about the scholar. What matters is the relationship with God. If you have that relationship with God, God reveals things by his spirit to you. I don't know everything. When God speaks to you, he may not speak to me. And if God, if he calls you, you know, he may not tell me that he called you, but he may show me at some point. So uh, we, we can't just blow these things off. So don't think that I'm the only one God speaks through because I'm not. God speaks through everybody. That's why the church is so full of people. You know, that's why they have prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and, and, and apostles and all manner of people. Because God, and they're all from all walks of life. So uh, one person doesn't have it all because he would be God. And only God has it all. Amen? So I'm nothing more than, I'm no more than, I'm better or worse than you. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16b, Paul uses two pairs of words to explain the usefulness of Scripture. He says, and it is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Now, let's take a look, a closer look at it. I'm going to take a look at this first pair here, teaching and rebuking. And I may be able to get in that second pair, too. Um, first pair, teaching and rebuking, has to do with doctrine, with teaching. Positively, all Scripture is useful for teaching, all Scripture. Some Scripture is useful for teaching, or is all Scripture useful for teaching? What does it say? All. Does that mean... Uh, just a little bit of it? Does that mean part of it? Does that mean this section over here? Or does it mean every bit of it? Every bit of it. Why? Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Every word of God is pure. That's what Proverbs 30 and 5 says, right? So all Scripture. And he says, and thou shalt, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7a, and thou shalt teach them diligently. Teach them what? Who? Teach the people. Teach the people. Teach them what? The word. The word. And Matthew 28, 19, go ye therefore and teach. And that word make disciples means to teach. How can you make disciples except you teach them? That is why the whole of the both of both the test of both testaments must be studied. Not just 
Romans, not just the narratives of the Old Testament, not just the gospel, but the entire Bible. All scripture together are to make up our teaching about God and his instructions for living a righteous life. Hence, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. I can't express it enough. With teaching also comes rebuking. Those true to the scriptures cannot escape this duty. If you see where they are violating the word of God, you've got to instruct them. You've got to. You may be concerned about this and that, but listen, if you are a man or woman of God and God has put you in a position of authority, you've got to rebuke When When something is not done right or something is out of order, you rebuke them for it. That's all there is to it. Together, teaching and rebuking produce the benefit of sound doctrine. They're hand in hand. You can't, you can't take one, you can't do one without the other because then you water it down. You're not really presenting it. And I have your attention to me. You're longer in the movie closing in 30 minutes. So it is for lack of both that the church can and has often fallen in error. We must hold true to the word of God no matter what. We must, even if somebody, you know, even if we feel uncomfortable, we still speak the word. We still stand on the word. And I'm going to get the second part here, and then we'll, we'll stop here. Thank you. First was the first pair was teaching and rebuking. Here's the second pair, or second part pair, and that is correcting and training in righteousness. Not only um, is there teaching and rebuking, but there is correcting and training in righteousness. That has to do with conduct. That has to do with conduct. Correcting comes from the Greek word for strength. Straight up. You hear somebody say, oh, he's a straight arrow, man. He just, oh, he just, he, he stays with the rules, man. He's a straight arrow. Straight. With the New Living Translation, helpfully, uh, helpfully renders, you know, gives us, it makes it clearer for us, in other words. It's straight, it's what is it? It's straightened up out. So when you have, if you have a New Living Translation, I have an old one at the house that I looked at and I, and I wrote it off. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. And what scripture is that? That's um, that's Second uh, Timothy chapter three verse sixteen and seventeen. But it's in the New Living Translation. I like the way it's put it. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out by telling us the truth, pointing these errors out, and it teaches us to do right. See, presumably, if you are corrected, if you're told what's right, you'll do what's right. If you're taught what's right, you'll do what's right. If you're shown what's right, you'll do what's right. If you're read what's right from the Word of God, you'll do what's right in the Word of God, according to the Word of God. Those, listen, God's Word is useful in a practical way. 
Those who accept his truth, that is rebuke or reprimand, reproof, that is rebuke or reprimand, will begin to find their living straightening out. If someone tells you this is why you're losing money, this is why you this is why you this is why your paycheck doesn't last. If they tell you they look at what you're doing with your money and then they show you what they what you're doing with your money and then they give you a guidance on how to, to, to correct that, that helps you straighten out your life, your finances. And that'll help and that presumably help you straighten out your life because your your lifestyle is driving your expenses. Lord have mercy, that's a good one. Then they will be ready for the word's positive effect of training in righteousness. The word righteousness that has come to be the come to the believer by faith is realized by the training of God's word, the teaching of God's word. You are trained or taught in the word of God. You begin to live a life that. Uh, pleases God, it is you're living in, you have what we call right living. That's what righteousness is, right living according to the word of God. Thus, the God-breathed word is useful for all of life, all doctrine and all duty, all creeds and all conduct, everything. How you live your life, how you interact with other people, how you respond to various situations and issues that you find yourself in, Every single thing, You're, even the word of, even how you spend your money, even how you take care of your bills, you spoke about, even how you take care of your bills, all of that, you learn. That helps you straighten out your life. And that's what Romans 8, I mean, it's 13, 8, 13, don't, let me go there. Don't you worry about it. Let me just go there. Because sometimes, you know, I, I transpose those sometimes. Let me just go there. Bible says that's why you must live responsibly. 
not just to avoid punishment, but also because it's the right way to live. That's all why you pay taxes, so that an orderly way of life can be maintained. Fulfill your obligations as a citizen. Pay your taxes. Pay your bills. Respect your leaders. Don't run up debt, except for the huge debt of love you owe to each other. When you love others, you complete what the law has been after all along. The law don't. The law code don't meet with another person. Okay. Go on. Yeah, that's uh, it. Though. Yeah, yeah the, you know, this is the thou shalt not commit adultery. Blah blah. blah. But that's what I'm talking about. So <clears throat> there's more. See what I what I love about going uh, going through these three series so far. God, His existence, Jesus Christ, who He is, getting to know the Holy Spirit, because it walks me through. It walks me through both the Old and New Testament. It opens up scriptures that I had not looked at before in a long. I I read the entire Bible. I don't know how many times. And and the Old Testament is why I, I really love the Old Testament. I really really love the Old Testament. And I spend a lot of time in the Old Testament, even just sitting around the house during the day. I read to my wife when she's driving to work in the morning. We're in Luke. Right now, I read a chapter a day to her while she's driving. Uh, but I, but when she's gone, but when, when I finish that, I'm all the way in the Old Testament. I'm in the Book of Isaiah right now, and I'm just reading the Book of Isaiah from beginning from from beginning to end. And that's what I do. I, I just love the New Testament, the Old Testament. I, I'm just in it all the time uh, because there's so much there. I love it, and you gotta and and and, and I and when I'm in there, and I'm in the New Testament. And I start reading the New Testament, my mind goes always back to the Old Testament because I see it. I see it. It's coming in. It's clear. Oh, yeah, that scripture right there. And see, like, I don't stumble when I'm, like, I'm stumbling here. When, when I'm sitting there, it's a clear, it's, it just comes so clear, and I just go right there most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. And then when it comes to me, and I say, oh, yeah. And so I'll, I'll, I'll do a little, do get you on my computer, then it pop up, and I say, yeah, that's it. So um, after hearing this word, thank you all for being here tonight. I, I don't know if any uh, who else is on aside from Marie, but I'm so grateful that you all were able to join us tonight. Um, and as always, uh, I'm always praying for my family uh, because I know uh, things can things, especially for Marie right now. It, you know, she has a tender heart, and so I'm really, really praying for her. And, of course, I pray for the members of Jesus Christ Ministries Global. I pray for um, my nieces and nephews and all of our siblings and their families. And so uh, we're constantly, my wife and I, are constantly praying for you guys. And uh, and I'm just thankful uh, if there's anyone that has special prayer requests or that's in need of, um, uh, that, that needs a church home, we love to be your church family. Uh, if you uh, if you're a backslider and you want to restore that life, you want to re- re- reunite with Christ. We'd love to do that with you tonight, uh, because God says He's married to the backslider, so return to Him. So, in any of these areas, we'd love to have you become a part of this ministry, or just you know, prayer or what have you. We'd love to be able to assist you in some way. Well, that being said, Brother Jerry is going to close us out tonight, and uh, appreciate you all being on tonight. Love you all, and God bless you. Ovation has a problem, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, for your teaching, Lord God, teaching your word, Lord God. Your word is true, Lord God. Your word is inspiring, Lord God. And we thank you, Lord God, 
We pray, Lord God, for this week, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, for our pastor, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, that you continue to be with us, Lord God, and help them build them up, Lord God, to continue to teach your word, Lord God, because your word is true, Lord God. So we thank you, Lord God. We thank you for those who want to call, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, for those who couldn't make it tonight, Lord God. We pray for their family, their friends, and their loved ones, Lord God. And we pray, Lord God, for traveling grace to our destination. Now to them who is able to keep you from falling, to send you falling, with the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy, the only wise God I say is glory and majesty, many and power, both now and well. The people of God said, Amen. 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 Oh. No. Oh. No, I didn't know that. Oh.
Well, Marie, talk to you later. <laughs>